Hello, and welcome to another edition of Java Cakes for Proust. Joining myself, Mooncat, and Europa Locho. Hello. Is G Baker from Sitcom Lover's Corner blog. G, hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm alright, thank you. How are you? I'm no bad, I'm no bad at all. Today's topic begins with H. Ocho, can you explain more? Well, it's one of the things we're going to cover. One of the things we're going to talk about is hauntology. Now that it's out of fashion, completely passe, and all the dodgy chances who think you can just slap Helvetica over anything, um, act like you've done something clever, have got in on the act, this is not really a great time to be talking about it. I did see on a message board posting somebody said, it's all a bit 2012, isn't it now? That's the perfect time for us to get on board with that idea. We're also going to talk about millennial nostalgia, because I don't want there to be a Generation X supremacy thing running through it. Come on, you know what the baby boomers were like with their nostalgia? Oh, bloody Telling hell. us how everything was better. Oh, no, and they're all on Facebook, aren't they? When I was a kid. <laughs> what you fail to understand is <laughs> you yes. were not there. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. So we have a millennial among us. Indeed, hello. Okay, so we are talking about as you said, hauntology is a cultural phenomenon that's never really gone mainstream as such, but seems to have moved from a sort of cult idea to, be, as you say, becoming passé without you know anything in between. And this idea that your childhood has perhaps elements in it which you look back on and you think, oh, it wouldn't be like that nowadays. There's bits and pieces where you think, oh, you know, that was that was. Well, perhaps. no, that's the question. That no, it's 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 not the statement. Oh, that was the question that sprang into my mind. It first started a few years ago. I was reading a review of a Batman comic that mentioned Ghost Box Records, and I went looking at their website and their wares, and I was really excited by what I saw, because the the album covers they look like school textbooks from the seventies. They have that faded quality that odd aura and it was something i'd always been aware of because i mean what look around you that was about 13 years ago that that started but hadn't really thought about a lot and then i saw a message board thread that got quite heated quite quickly i won't quote it. it's not like quoting tweets i'm a bit more guarded about quoting message board messages also i can't remember who posted them i think somebody who listens to this podcast might be the person involved one person had said something about talking to a co-worker who was much younger who'd said something about oh i wish i could go back to the 90s when things were all cozy and safe which sounds like a weird statement to somebody who grew up in the 70s and 80s and this person who can make themselves known if they wish said did you ask them if their childhood was a bit creepy and unnerving and this descended into a whole thing of a bunch of generation x's on one side saying yes yes our childhoods were a little bit odd and shadowy not exclusively there were sunny days but some of it was just a bit peculiar just a slight hint of the wicker man in the british high street in the midst of all this i made a mix it originally went out on cooked and bombed radio as a halloween special and i later uploaded to mixcloud and i called it the haunted age because it was like it could either be yes it was an age in history or maybe it's an age in life i was perfectly willing to believe and still am 
if somebody who didn't grow up at that time said, yes, absolutely, I know what you mean. When I was a 10-year-old, in ridiculously recent years, I found the world a bit strange and odd and shadowy. I know what you mean. Now, Mooncat, you're about the same age as me. Do you know what I mean by the odd, shadowy, unnerving quality of childhood? Yes, I do. And I'm going to... You tell me if you want to expand this to other areas, but I'm talking specifically in terms of television. Between the programs, when I was growing up, early 1980s and what have you, it was far more common than it is nowadays to see public information films at all times during the day. And a lot of these public information films, and this is probably an area that we should do some research into at some point in the future to actually get some real dates and detail, a lot of these public information films were produced in the 1970s. So here I am growing up at the same time as Hip and Happening and Computerized Graphics Channel 4 is just beginning, and all the other television channels are trying to follow suit and be all with it and what have you, and yet every now and then, several times a day, you've got this little portal into what looks like a dated world. Sometimes you've got people that you recognize in public information films who look 10 years younger than they are because of course the damn film's 10 years old and the fact that it was on film as well meant that sometimes it could seem a little bit tatty sometimes you get like little bits of sound or little flashes and what have you that didn't quite fit the normal televisual landscape and sometimes you could even get like colors that were washed out and so on that coupled with you know the message that they were trying to get across a sort of general sense of foreboding sometimes these public information films were cartoons and were a bit more light-hearted but sometimes they were not as we'll discuss getting these little glimpses of this other sort of dated world regularly every single day it did add to a sense that things were not altogether all children's BBC broom cupboard, everything's lovely and happy and clappy and everything. So, gee, you were born while Mooncat was saying that. <laughs> Do you recognise that statement, that the shadowy, unnerving quality of British childhood? Not really. When I was doing the research for this, it wasn't until like I saw your playlist with a lot of public information shots that it made me think, oh, hang on a minute, there was a few when we were growing up. But most of my memory of it is the happy, clappy stuff. And there was only, I guess, a little bit of worry because there was only a few of us that were actually allowed to go out and play outside on our own, unsupervised, and come back for tea. And quite a lot of people were like, oh, my mum and dad says, oh, we're not to go out. Strangers will approach us and all this. But our public information shorts, we used to see them at school, really. You'd watch the BBC learning things, and they were only on about between 9 and 12 in the morning to lunchtime, and they were more sugar-coated, I guess, than the ones that you had. I would say that maybe ours was a bit more happy-clappy. To set this up, what what happened was there was an exchange of YouTube playlists. We both worked on... Well, I mean, admittedly, mine was heavily slanted towards the spooky side, just because I wanted to convey that. Yes, yes. There was sunny, golden loveliness, but that wasn't really what I wanted to talk about. But Mooncat, when we watched G's playlist, because the first thing was a public information film about road safety. Yes. And it was a couple of happy hedgehogs. It conveyed the message without being scary. And that pretty much, it all crystallised at that point. It's like, if you've grown up with this, rather than the Tufty Club, 
Because the Tufty Club wasn't... We're not talking about the spirit of dark and lonely water. We will. But the Tufty Club was not designed to be scary. But there was just something about the faded film stock and the stop-motion animation and the sense that these might be actual dead squirrels that (laughs) somebody had animated. (laughs) I'm not exaggerating. I genuinely remember as a child, and it must have been like a preschool nursery thing. I think I only went once. I mean, for a start, this was before sandblasting had really taken off. So the building I went to was black. The bricks were black. And we went inside. It was like a converted church hall. So, of course, it had gothic arch windows. And we were shown films. And one of them was the Tufty Club. And I just remember, I wouldn't have even known the word unnerving. But I was unnerved. Didn't stop me playing with the Blake 7 ships later on. And stuff. One of those made an excellent toothpick. <laughs> you could have kept that in the packaging and sold it on eBay now. It was already out of the packaging. It wasn't mine. There was just like a big box full of toys, and one of them, I think, was the Liberator. And I didn't watch Blake 7, so I was actually flying it backwards. <laughs> the point is, I was unnerved by Tufty. They were trying to teach us about road safety, and it was just a bit odd. That's what I thought when I watched it. I kind of thought, is it sort of like an actual TV program or is it a public information short advert thing? It was a lot more story-based than our little hedgehogs. But yeah, there was something that made you think, oh, okay, this is a bit sit-up-on-the-edge-of-your-seat type thing. And it's narrated by Bernard Cribbins, who is a lovely man. Is it the fact that it's an animation? Does that make it more or less scary? Because if you see a piff, as we refer to them, if we see a piff coming on, and it's very, very obviously about just because that happens to be what Tufty's about, so I'll use that as the example, road safety. Like, for example, the other day I saw an advert on Irish TV, Republic of Ireland TV, that was for cycling safety. It was for you know road users, drivers saying, you know, watch out for cyclists. And it was all very much do this, do that, do this, do that, and what have you, and just all sort of laid out, and nothing scary about it or anything like that, saying sit up and pay attention to this. Whereas... Tufty, because it's an animation, it's like, at first, you might think, oh, this is a nice little happy, clappy animation and what have you, but then it's all going to turn pure sinister. After the first time you've seen it, of course, then you, you know that, and you get that sense. So if you see those characters turn up again, because, of course, there's, there's plenty of Tufties, if you see those characters turn up again, or the Charlie Says, for example, you know <laughs> there's going to be something about this. This is not just going to be 30 seconds of hilarity. I don't know. I think the unnerving qualities kick in long before the ball gets squashed or Willie the weasel gets hit by a car and that's the thing there's a couple of different qualities to talk about there were things that were meant to scare us the spirit of dark and lonely water and drama rama spooky things like that and they scared us but they sort of went a bit further there was some quality that hadn't actually been included it wasn't meant to be part of the scare but it was there anyway but something like Tufty, no, Tufty's meant to look happy and sentimental. It's meant to be a golden view of childhood. And it already isn't there long before Willie the Weasel gets what's coming to him. <laughs> he only drops his ice cream and hurts his leg. And I find that interesting. Something that's meant to be cheerful and nice for children. Well, picture box. I've got my own theory, you see. One of the things is adults who've forgotten what it's like to be children just because there was 
a time when you put away childish things. If you look at now, you look at the bedroom of adults now, and some of them, they haven't changed since they were 10. They'll be covered with... I'm not judging anybody. Except for that one guy. But that's a fact, whereas when you go to earlier generations, the baby boomers to a certain extent, though maybe they started their whole childhood, their infantilization thing. The silent generation, which my parents belong to, the greatest generation as they're called, you didn't keep your action men out when you were an adult. You didn't have a shelf in your house that was for your Daleks and Lego and things like that. You had grown-up art and these people were making the programs for the children. And the image in my head, that picture box theme, the famous one, I know there was a different one, is somebody just goes, right, let's listen to that. Oh, that sounds like a merry-go-round. That sounds like a fairground. Yes, that'll be nice. The kids will like that. Completely overlooking the fact that it's in a minor key and played on glass. <laughs> and I guess people like us, who grew up with adults may have said, we're not going to be like that. And then we made the next generation of children's shows, which are much more, hey kids, I think that was it. There was, there was a divide. and The broom cupboard was the beginning of the end of spooky children's television. You know, it's a very gradual thing. But that's the thing, that there comes a point when it goes from, hello children, to, hey kids. Okay, I don't want to overdo this, but... Specifically with regard to the broom cupboard, and it is topical, of course, because it's 30th anniversary and they're just about to have a big old celebration of 30 years of CBBC and so on. It was different depending on which ITV region you grew up in, because sometimes you had in-vision continuity announcers on children's programmes before children's ITV was created. But children's ITV comes along early in 83, and I think it was initially Matthew Kelly, and you had different people on each and every month and what have you. Children's BBC follows suit a couple of years later. Children's BBC continuity is always live, whereas sometimes CITV has been taped, sometimes it's been live and so on. I think what that brings to the table is that even if there's perhaps something within one of the programmes that, you know, so you mentioned Dramarama. So even if there's something in one of the programmes perhaps it's a little bit, then you're going to have your friendly little face popping up in the familiar studio surroundings to say, well, that was a bit, ooh, that was a bit spooky, wasn't it? Anyway, here's what's on tomorrow and so on and so on. And if you're on BBC, there's Philip Schofield, and there's a nice sense of belonging and normality and what have you, whereas previously you just had, on BBC, you had a voice. You didn't see who the voice belonged to. It was just a voice in the wilderness. I suspect that things like children's BBC and so on, that's a sort of comforting thing. So even if there's something in the programmes that's unsettling, it's like, oh, everything's okay now. Click your fingers and here comes Philip or Andy Crane or whoever it is. And we're all back to normal. Everything's fine. But of course, you didn't get that with the public information films and what have you. It wasn't like a friendly face pop up at the end of all of those and say, look, take the message on board, but don't worry about it. You know, they're all actors and what have you. It's fine. Nothing to worry about. I suspect you're right. Yeah, CBBC and bits and pieces of that ilk. Well, is this getting into the sort of more of the area of celebrity and personality? rather than what might be seen as, even though if you have a selection of programs over the course of a day, they can perhaps seem isolated one after the other. Whereas now, of course, you've got familiar faces everywhere you look at all times. 
think I'd agree with that actually because I remember when we were growing up you had a lot of SMTV live so there's a lot of like Ant and Deck, Cat Daly and Reggie Yates and Fern Cotton and that sort of thing on CBBC and they were the sort of the people that you'd identify with and they were like everybody's heroes so and I guess that was the comfort and the normality type thing so yeah I think you're absolutely right there. Was there anything at all that you could think of from when you were growing up that was remotely like picture box for example? I'm not quite sure what that is. <laughs> it was a school's programme. You had to watch TV at school, yeah. yes? The stuff that we used to watch. What did we used to watch? I'm guessing Look and Read. Oh, absolutely, yeah, Look and Read. We'll, we'll that come was... to that. Picture Box was a school's programme, and its opening titles were A Glass Box. I suppose it was brass, but it had glass walls on a turntable spinning. I think it was somewhere in the playlist, but you might have been hiding behind a pillow at that point. And the music... That does sound familiar. ...was this weird minor tonality fairground thing. Ocho, I'm going to actually suggest at this point, if there's any copyright problems, I'll take the hit for it, but let's break the rule. Let's actually put the music of Picturebox in the podcast right now. Okay. And I can just imagine whoever was taking the choice was listening to different ideas like, right, we're going to change the picture box theme tune, pick something. Oh, yes, that sounds like a fairground. Children like that. And they haven't had that perspective of what it's going to be like. When you say about people, kids watching that at school, if it was anything like our arrangement, we'd be in the gym and it would be on the television on the tall stand and curtains would be drawn. And we'd be largely watching in the dark because, you know, we're trying to watch television. You don't want the daylight on the TV screen. But there's so, always a little crack in the curtain. You could see the dust. Yes, yes. That was quite nice, actually. The original pairing. And there were blackout curtains. <laughs> no, literally, in our school, it was blackout curtains that had been left there since the war. So you couldn't look at them without thinking of bombs. Hey, do you remember nuclear war? You used to have about three of them a year. You got the day off school. It was fantastic. <laughs> Mooncat, just tell our lovely listeners about the Gideon we watched. I mean, Gideon's just the ugly duckling. Right, Gideon is a French cartoon, and initially it's about the ugly duckling, so duckling says, you know, I don't care if people point and laugh and what have you, I am who I am and I'll be myself and so on. So it's all about you know, building self-confidence and what have you. But in this particular episode, there's a ferret, who isn't part of the gang. So this is actually slightly running counter to the suggestion of the opening titles, which is, you know, it doesn't matter who you are and what have you. It doesn't matter if you're a little bit different or anything. We've all got to show each other respect and what have you. Straight away, ferret, look at that bastard ferret that's running around, killing rabbits. The ferret's got this horrible sort of aura about them. It's making a noise like, if you ever played Street Fighter 2 and you press the buttons <laughs> in a certain way and you can make Zangief sort of electrify himself, that's what the ferret sounded like. So the ferrets run around killing rabbits and what have you. Well, so no, that's think... the thing. The opening titles end, and within a few seconds, we see the ferret kill a rabbit on screen. Murder. Well, yeah, but just decapitate him or anything like that. I was still shocked by it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether that's because 
we were quite sheltered as kids and there was never anything like that on cartoons that we used to see. It was only ever the baddies that met their fate like that. Hold that thought, because I want to ask you something about exactly that in just a second. So they decide, okay, we're going to get a hold of this ferret. Can I have any of this going on? So they basically arrange this situation in which the ferret will be led to his death through a pipe, which he goes in and then cannot escape from. And so eventually he's caught by a fisherman and is locked in the fisherman's box. And then Gideon... He's not moving either. It's not like he rustles around in there, let me out of this box. The fisherman may have already caught a drowned ferret. Now, they don't say that the ferret died. They tell you that the rabbit's dead. No, but what happens is that Gideon is voiced in the British version by Tim Brooke Taylor. And he then sings a happy song about the fact that the ferret is no more. And he actually, Mm. I think he sings at one point, we won't see him again. So it's slightly ambiguous as to the fate of the ferret, but you know one way or another, he ain't getting in the box anytime soon. Well, Tim Brooke Taylor has their natural creepiness that is held by all people from Derbyshire. <laughs> I can't just pick on Glaswegians, you know, I've got to switch it up sometimes. Gee, let me ask you this. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Yes. What was your initial thought about the scene where Christopher Lloyd demonstrates the power of the dip by catching the boot and putting in the dip? I just think I absorbed it, really. I don't think I took any sort of thought towards it. Because I saw Roger Rabbit in the cinema when it came out at first, and I think that was about 88 or thereabouts, wasn't it? And then it turned up on ITV in 1995, and it was a half past six in the evening Sunday screening. That scene was cut. Oh, okay. Now, I can imagine that's the kind of thing that you get lazy-ass columnists in the, the mail and what have you saying, oh, can you believe this? It's like Nanny State gone mad. They've cut like a section with a cartoon boot, for God's sake. But the fact of the matter is that it's a horrible scene. I can sort of understand why it would be. Yeah, edited. it's not just a scene of killing. It's a scene of torture. Yes. So I wonder then, 1995, are we already starting to get into the era where something like Gideon, for example, that wouldn't be made in 1995, or at least not in that manner. If they want oh to get, no, I don't think... No, it wouldn't have been. If they want to get the same message across, which I'm sure they, they still do in kids' programmes all the time, put it this way. Supposedly, the message of Gideon is about the tale of the Ockley Duckling and so on. You could say, actually, that that's the Raggy Dolls. There's nothing remotely threatening about the Raggy Dolls. No. It hasn't got anything about Honto about it, has it? That's, that's a very, very safe cartoon. And I suppose you could say that that's transitioning into... You know, what's going to come in the 90s and later on. Whereas, you know, they're still going to get the same message across, but just using different methodology. Well, let's talk about G's playlist. Quite a lot of the children's things, because I know there are a few adult programs, which I'm not sure I get that nostalgic for the adult programs that were on when it I was, was a child. more the to be honest when we were talking about this because i was telling my friend who I went to primary school with so we basically had the same sort of upbringing and we watched the same things saying look this i need to compile a playlist what can you remember and it was like bad girls the stuff we used to watch on youtube that was made in like the 80s it was coronation street all that stuff came first because i guess we thought oh yeah we remember this storyline whereas a kid show you just remember the kid show and not actually the storyline and i think it was the soap storylines that stick out in my mind but there were a lot of things in the children's (laughs) programs that reminded me of much earlier stuff stuff from maybe my parents childhoods 
there was a definite warmth and safety. I mean, Noddy, how long has Noddy been going as a concept? Moonkit, get on the wiki. I'm just going. I'm, I'm, I'm there. Okay. I'm going up to talk about computer as we speak. Right. And even things like Harry Potter bring together a number of different ideas. I mean, there's the whole going away to boarding school, Jennings type idea. Again, things from the first half of the 20th century. Noddy was first published in 1949. First appeared on British television in 1955. Right, and that was just the thing that. They got the, we're using the phrase golden childhood idea, and then managed to get it clean, completely untainted <laughs> by the shadows of oddness. Okay, so can you define this for true? Because I, I still, even though I, I well, get actually, ontology... Yeah, you found I, Noddy a bit sinister, didn't you? Really? There was something about that voice. It was the opening credits, and it was just the way it said, Noddy. I don't know why I thought this, but I just sort of thought, this could be sung by a disembodied head. It just sort of had that sort of aura about it. And yeah, we're overusing the word sinister. The other word to use is melancholy. And that's something that runs through that. And yes, there's a little bit of it in, in naughty, those two notes. Yeah, But maybe. then Rosie and Jim. I just think of it with nothing but happiness. Yeah, and I think it's Rosie and Jim is completely pure infant joy. Yeah, absolutely. Except where was John? Why was it Pat? Oh no, it's Loopy Lobes. It's, no, because that was the ones that I had on video, and then went to my grand's, and she had I don't know another man, and we just like no, we don't want to watch these ones. <laughs> no, it's got to be Loopy Lobes. Um, so yeah, that's why. Here's an odd thing because Rosie and Jim talks TV. They're made by Ragdoll Productions. I know where you're going with this. I indeed. Now, in the late 1980s. Okay, mid to late 1980s, there was a program made by Ragdoll on Channel 4 called Pob's Program. And Pob was a weird-looking puppet. This is if it was made out of wood, but it probably wasn't. And Pob didn't really speak any normal words. And what he got just said Pob, didn't he? What got Pob into the tabloids and caused much furor was that he used to spit. No, now here's the thing. Here is the thing. Here's what Pob was meant to be doing. Pop was meant to be misting up the inside of the television screen with his breath, and then he wrote his name. But how do you get a puppet to do that? Obviously, they couldn't put a little steaming mechanism. So it's like they put something that shot out furniture polish. So rather than appearing to yeah, steam up things with his breath, it just looked like he was gobbing all over the place and writing <laughs> pop in his own spit. Lovely. And the other thing, of course, about Pob was that somebody had to read him a story. I mean, I was was I too old for Pob? I get the feeling I didn't watch Pob's program because I liked Pob. I watched Pob's program because there was something on after that I wanted to see. But there was a celebrity guest each week who read him a story. But next week's celebrity guest would turn up early at the end of the program and would be told that they had to wait until next week. And I know at least one of them pretended to cry. <laughs> I'm just going to ask this as an aside. Gee, did you ever watch Bo Saleta when I was on? Yeah. And so Bo Saleta would have been an evening program when you were growing up, yeah? Yes, it was, yeah. Whilst Ocho was actually saying they used to read Pobba's story, straight away I was thinking of the bear. The bear, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like certain things now have been subverted by popular culture. Whereas, like, yeah, I suspect that if you did that nowadays then you would be giggling all the way through it because you'd be thinking of that. Somebody asked me the other day, when did Jack and Ori finish? 
while we were talking about it, I said, you know, Jack and Noah's never really gone away. Because... I was going to say, you see it advertised on CBBC, don't you? Well, you, you still have... CBBs. You still have the CBBs bedtime story, which are, in effect really is Jack and Ori, isn't it? Because I think they changed it. It's called Jack and Ori Jr., I think. But I I'm not sure, because it's years since I've looked at CBBs. I wonder how much of the lack of, as you say, ultra melancholy or sinisterness or whatever it may be, I wonder if a lot of this has disappeared because of the ubiquity of celebrities these days. So you get the same people turning up everywhere. And if it was, for example, I mean, we, we talked about, and we're going to come on to this, we might as well come on to it now, the, you know, never talk to strangers. Piff. <laughs> there was there, there were no there were no recognizable because we're, we're always doing this you know you and i are watching bits and pieces old british tv or, or film or whatever it may be we say ah there's a face there's a face there's a face but there was nobody in that that i recognized at all and that surprised me but then at the same time i'm thinking well that's perfectly logical because you wouldn't want a film like that to be chock full of famous faces yeah we got shown that at school even though by the well, time we were shown it they'd already it. made a new one yeah, somebody, they brought an 8 mil projector. Uh, never go with, is it never talk to strangers, never go with strangers. Just st stay away from strangers. Uh, it's, it's on YouTube, it's been restored by the BFI. That's a thing we need to talk about, really. Warped and worn film. Because I know you think that that is one of the things that makes this. I think film itself has got a lot to do with it, to be honest. But yes, definitely film which is past its best. Because also the weird thing about film as well, and you sometimes got this on commercials back in the day, still around about to mid-80s or thereabouts, is that when things were being shown on film, quite often when the film ended, you'd end up sort of paused on the last frame of it <laughs> on the television. And it might have been that some regions were still synchronising, so you'd end up wherever you happen to be. You might be left with like an image on the screen for like three or four or five seconds. That can be unsettling, depending on what it is. So, now, yeah. Now, that's the point, because... The one that really struck us on G's playlist was Come Outside with Linda Barron because there was nothing in that that was really wildly different from anything we grew up with. The manner of it, it was very maternal and it was also the whole thing of let's go and find out how an everyday object is made. The only thing is, is it was all on videotape. If there'd been a version of that, and there will have been versions, I suppose um, Stop, Look and Listen, that was that kind of thing. It would have been made on 16mm film that had been very hastily developed. I mean, it would have looked battered at the time. And so it wouldn't just be a matter of, let's go to the toothpaste factory. It would have been like, let's go to the toothpaste factory in the past. <laughs> this isn't really happening now. This really is going to sound like I'm stretching this. And maybe I am, I don't know. But, but just when you said about stop, look and listen just now, I thought even things like captions in something like Come Outside, which was, that was 1995, wasn't it? Even things like captions and credits and so on, they're very neat and very clean because they're computerised. Whereas captions on films, sometimes they've got that slightly hesitant feel about them. You know, it's where you see it coming, but it doesn't actually arrive for about half a second or so. It's just all these little details, whereas programmes from the late 80s onwards, they're using film, it's probably going to be pretty good quality. And a lot of programs there not just VT only and what have you and I think that probably helps to sort of give you a feeling of not safety or security as, as such as just familiarity so if it looks the same all the way through 
then that's less jarring than if you suddenly cut from VT to film. I thought there was little hints of the old creep in Spy Watch. That makes it sound like called Keith Barron an old creep, <laughs> which I would never do. Now, characters played by him, that's a different case. But there was that bit where the boy was in the war-torn London, but he was kind of like green-screened onto an illustration. I thought that had a nice unworldly quality. Mooncat, did you ever have to watch Look and Read? On occasion. Do you remember Wordy? Yes, I do. I do remember Wordy, yes. I never really found Wordy particularly sort of sinister or anything like that, I have to say. Not sinister, but he was a bit peculiar. Well, he didn't have any body below his arms. And he could fly, couldn't he? Yeah. Oh, hang on a minute. You remember Wordy, G? I think so. Oh. I think we might have seen a video of it. We used to have watched the like really old look and reads. If I can just pull aside the curtain, break kayfabe, and mention that this is actually the second take of the recording. We started the recording and then abandoned it early and started again. But there was something we talked about in the first recording that's relevant here. And we were talking about the pace of cultural change. So an illustration. I think I've completely forgot to mention that Hauntology takes its name from a political and philosophical idea which is tied to the idea that we are living after the end of history because free market capitalism has prevailed over communism. There is no massive ideological struggle at the level of superpower. And therefore, we're living after the end of history. Some people think this is complete nonsense. However, out of that has grown the idea that some of our ideas are going to start warping and becoming folkloric as we are haunted by the spectre of communism. And basically, things aren't changing quick enough. People start looking back and it feels weird. That's a very brutal way of putting it. And this naturally leads us to think about Asda. There was some supermarket that was doing an advert flashing back and maybe it had a flashback to was it 1984 right portraying 1984 because that's easy leg warmers and dealy boppers and cliches like that that kind of thing and then it had a bit of flashback to 1997 i was like 1997 um people still dress like it was the 80s and there's this (laughs) weird like they drained the collar from it So it looks like there's nothing from 1997 that looks faded or battered. (laughs) There's not like vinegar syndrome in 1997 films. The videotapes don't change. And it's that thing of as you start to jump back, it gets harder and harder. And we did ask G, and we'll ask her again for the sake of this recording, 2005, does 2005 look weird and retro? Do the clothes look bizarre if you see pictures and movies from then? Not so much the clothes, I wouldn't say. I'd say the accessories, like the jewellery and obviously the size of phones and things. But I wouldn't really say the clothes. If you wore the exact same clothes as a person of 2005 in the high street in 2015, you're not going to look that bizarre, are you? No. (laughs) Whereas the gap between 1985 and 1975 is huge. So that's another thing. This is a really vague, nebulous chat we're going back and forth on. (laughs) But of course, then there's the other thing, lost memories. There are people now who are adults. There are people of voting age who've grown up with YouTube. They've never known what it's like not to see something for millions of years. Or is that true? Gee, is there anything from the past, from television, from movies that you've not been able to track down that you'd love to see or hear again? 
I don't think so. I think I found most of it on YouTube or old videotapes that I've recorded it on when it was on at the time. But no, I guess if you know what it is, you can find it on YouTube at the drop of a hat. But I've never thought, oh, I really want to see this again and typed it into YouTube and not found it. There's always at least one video of it there. Oh, should you want another quick tangent that's going to throw us off course again? Oh, yes, go on. How much do you think that HD and the advent of 4K and 8K are going to throw out this issue of programs looking dated? So in other words, if you put on, say, Gold, and you put on My Family from 2005, it looks like shit. Well, it's standard definition, and it's got pish That was the effect. thing. Many people complained then, that, that fake film filter. Mm-hmm. It's got all that kind of nonsense going on, and the colours are a little drained in comparison to probably what you get nowadays in a studio sitcom. Now, compare that with Kojak running on ITV4 just now in HD, and all the colours are vibrant, everything's pristine, it looks fantastic. Apart from the fashions, obviously, you can't nothing you can do about that. But in terms of just overall appearance, that looks more contemporary in some ways. It looks more real, more live, in a, in a way, if that makes any sense, than something that's sort of 10 or 12 or 15 years old. Yes, that's going to be interesting. There's a lost generation of television. Because also, at some point in the 80s and 90s, filmed series tended to be edited on videotape. thing you occasionally see is somebody says, um, you know, the 1996 Doctor Who TV movie. Oh, that's a film. Why can't it be on Blu-ray? It can't be on Blu-ray because it was edited on videotape. It's locked into standard definition. And the effects were done via videotape as well. So if you wanted a high-definition version of that, you would have to find the original film elements and redo all of the effects from scratch, assuming the film elements even exist. So, yeah, there's the standard definition gap. Things up to a certain point in the 80s can now be made new again. I would put too much emphasis on people's physical appearance and fashions. And are we perhaps not looking more closely at objects, items and so on? Because one thing that I notice being used in a lot of advertising these days to indicate something in the relatively recent past or perhaps somebody in 2015 who is not catching up with the times is a CRT. But that's just one noticeable object. If you look at just a picture of a 1975 living room, much, much more of it, much more of the objects, much more of the decor advertises its 1975-ness. Yeah, as soon as people from about 2005 pull out their phones, something's changed. But only at that point, only when we look at their technology. Technological change, yes, that's been at least at its usual pace throughout. It's artistic change. And that's another thing that brings us back to the weirdness of Gideon. It's got that odd storybook drawing quality. And there were things meant for children that had been informed by fairly high art or avant-garde art, weirdness, non-representational things. There's a slide for Yorkshire Television's children's (laughs) strand, and it's odd-looking. It's some sort of 70s-come-Edwardian-come-psychedelic, hideous representation of noseless, big-eyed children. 
And again, a thing we get in some of those piffs, the design is quite alienating. Now, I say that when I talk to Americans about hauntology, they don't know what I'm talking about. But then there's Crackmaster from Sesame Street. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's just the thing. Yeah. Looking at the cracks in the wall and they, they seem to form animals and then they go off and they meet an evil crack. But the music is sort of free jazz. And again, melancholy and folk music as well. Like the theme tune to Finger Bobs. Was it Penny whistling an acoustic guitar and it's in a minor key? That's another thing that went away. It's pop music or something quite like it. That tends to go all the way down the line. So we lost the jazz, the folk and the radiophonics went out of childhood because again it wasn't our thing it was the adults just making an adult version of childhood okay mooncat bagpuss right did bagpuss ever make you feel sad i wouldn't say it made me feel sad but it definitely had a melancholy feel about it before i knew what the word melancholy meant when i was growing up the strand on bbc one was still referred to as watch with muller up until 1980 and then they dropped out because they said oh that's what happened that name so they replaced it with a little strand called seesaw now seesaw in one week could have contained something like chock-a-block which was bang up to date it had presenters driving around in little electric vehicles and pressing all manner of buttons on this huge computer flashing lights everywhere and what have you so it was all very much screaming you know we're in the 1980s and what have you way the age of microchip and all this kind of stuff and we used to have things like Pigeon Street, for example, which was quite sort of contemporary and had reggae theme and what have you and was quite sort of multicultural and all that kind of stuff. And that was quite of its time and, and modern and up to date. So in the same week, moving from them on, say, Monday and Tuesday, then suddenly Wednesday happened Bagpost. Bagpost was like something like the Flumps, for example. These were just things from, you know, a slightly different universe. These were not at all the same. Something like Crystal Tips and Alistair, for example, that I presume would have felt very, very modern at the time when it came out because it doesn't look remotely like some of the programs that have gone before even in the same decade. And of course it's vibrant and full of colour and what have you, but then for some reason that used to turn up a hell of a lot in the, the, the early 1980s. The animation in that reminded me a little bit of that Yorkshire slide. If you're following us on Twitter, by the way, at the Sitcom Club, we'll tweet a picture of the Yorkshire slide that we're talking about because no description can possibly do it justice. So we'll tweet out a picture of it. I wouldn't say necessarily bag posts. It wasn't in any way sort of unsettling or anything like that, but it certainly had its own sort of aura. Then again, is it representative? Because it is supposed to be a little bit of a throwback. Yeah, but remember how frequently we got throwback things. Five Children and It, Box of Delights, quite a large number, Carrie's War, there's maybe a little bit more older children. The Golden View of Childhood was something that happened a long time ago. So it was a little bit, right, if you want to do that nostalgic glow of a safe and innocent childhood, you set it in the past, because the present is Grange Hill. I know I'm omitting a hell of a lot of stuff, and I'm stretching a point to breaking... Where is the stuff on Jesus? Like you say, Rosie and Jim come outside, Tots TV. There was a sense of the golden age, the golden, safe, warm childhood is now. Gee, when you were watching the school's programmes, did you still have a show called How We Used to Live? I don't think so. I'm just trying to think, what kind of sort of representations did you have of the past in children's programmes in, say, sort of mid-1990s or 
There wasn't really a great deal, I don't think. There was the odd 1980s BBC Schools thing that obviously they recorded and they were going to use till the tape wore out. But there was nothing that kind of gave you an indication into how it was really in the past. I guess the only thing that springs to mind is that spy watch thing with how it was during the war, but there was nothing like that really. Most of ours was like the magic key and all that lively sort of thing. There's one show I can't remember the name of, but all I can remember is it was Christmas morning and he got his stocking and in it he like got an orange and some pennies and a Kit Kat. I think that might have been his entire Christmas haul, I'm not sure, but I remember thinking, is that what Kit Kats used to look like? Very similar to now, but not quite the same. I find that fascinating. I wish I knew what show that was. Mooncat, could you search the IMDb and see if there was a children's television show called The Boy Who Got a Kit Kat for Christmas? <laughs> um, yeah, I found it. It goes out every single year on PBS on Christmas Eve. <laughs> so, no, the thing I got from Bagpuss was that um, occasionally when I watch footage that is old enough, but not really old enough, my joke is, all these people are dead now. Yeah, like, Except for the ones who are still alive. <laughs> Something seemed to play that game with you themselves. And <laughs> a long time ago, there was a girl called Emily. She's in sepia tone. Emily's dead. The real Emily is actually still alive. And I know somebody who went to school with Emily. But it was just that sepia tone and was it... I'm not sure what instrument was being plucked. This is like banjo, doesn't it? No, I'm beginning to think it's a dulcimer. Gentle plucked strings and the faded edges of it. The sense to me was that this is the past and everybody's dead. I never got that impression about Bagpuss, honestly. I... Oh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you if you don't get that. I once had a terrifying dream about Moss Chops, the claymation dinosaur. I don't which remember really, Moss Chops. That really coloured my opinion of it from then on. But that was narrated by Bernard Crippens as well. But I can't hold the makers of Moss Chops to blame for that because that was just my weird head that came up with that. Gee, were there, were there any sort of shows when... You're watching things like Children's BBC and what have you. Well, then it sort of shows that for whatever reason you had a rational sort of dislike of for some reason. Was there anything that TV just... TV shows? Yeah. As soon as you see it, it was like, oh, no, no. Yes. I'm probably going to be hated for this, but I could not get on with Blue Peter. Did not like it. I don't know whether I find it patronising or what. I just like everybody used to watch it and talk about it. I'm just like, no. I don't know. I just didn't get on with it, really. And I the think... magpie kid lost out of time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just maybe I find it boring, or I didn't like to be told what to do and how to make things. But then again, there might have been because my generation there was a split divide. You're either a CITV kid or a CBBC kid, and I was more of a CITV kid, I think. So maybe that swayed me not to watch Blue Peter. This is interesting because I wonder if such divides still exist. Because given these days. You know, most of the, the children's programmes has been removed from the traditional locations on the mainstream entertainment channels and put into its own little ghetto. So I wonder if you still get that. Do you still get... Because CITV, of course, sadly, has been sort of run down over the last few years. But I wonder if you still get maybe CBBC Kids and Nickelodeon Kids or Disney Channel Kids or whatever it may be. I wonder if you still get that kind of sort of territorial demarcation. There's just one thing I want to say about Blue Peter, because... One complaint from people who didn't like it, and, and it's a complaint you get from Magpie Kids, is how patronising it was and how middle class it was. I don't think anybody ever went, oh great, Blue Peter's on, I will watch this. You just had it on, 
And Quite a lot of people I knew went to school who used to love Blue Peter and they couldn't understand why I didn't watch it or why I didn't like it. Right. For me, it was just like, right, Blue Peter's on. Let's see what happens. Could be good, could be bad. There might be something in this that will grab my attention. And it was just particular segments would interest me. I didn't really have any great affection for the show itself. There's nothing coming to mind from Blue Peter, but I think anything I would care to be nostalgic about Blue Peter, it will be a segment. It will not be the idea of, right, it's whatever time it was, 4.40, time to watch Blue Peter. I never had a Blue Peter badge. I give Biddy Baxter one of my badges from my show. And I cannot Bob. believe you just said 4.40 for Blue Peter. Isn't that it? Blue Peter was five past five. That's a bit late. It no. was about five o'clock, I think. Yeah, Because exactly. it was when My Parents Were Aliens was on, and that's what I watched. I didn't watch Blue Peter. And even, even in, his, in his heyday. Was My Parents know, but... Were Aliens, was that made by Yorkshire Television? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, do, do you know why I know that? Go on. I went to uh, Leeds Calling Festival once, and the parents were in the guest beer area. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the... Why do I know those people? They're faintly... Hang on a minute. They must have just been over in, in Leeds proper and just popped up to Bramham to uh, watch some hot pop. <laughs> that was, I think, one of my favourite programmes as a child, and I still unashamedly have my, my Prince of Aliens poster on my, inside of my wardrobe stuck inside there. I think it still gets repeats today on CITV, doesn't it? I think it's still I don't fairly know. popular. Probably. But, um, it did well. No. I was in first year of uni because we used to sit around and watch that and think of how it was lovely to be a kid and all the nostalgia. Well, I've got something in my notes here programmed for nostalgia. And I was going to make a point that Moonkat and I, our generation, was programmed for nostalgia. The shows were already your childhood isn't over but it will end. There was just that sense. This is a terrible generalisation. Absolutely everything we're saying, the opposite is also true. Don't anybody think I'm writing a prescription for all time. So, I, But I think I think that's the thing. We're fed a diet of something that said that we were living... We're post-apocalyptic. We were living in a world that wasn't quite as wonderful as it had been. Whereas the stuff on G's playlist was, the best of times is now. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you weren't allowed out of the house. I was. There was me and two other girls, and we were the only people that were allowed out. That's interesting. Yeah, there was two of us, because where I live, and there's absolutely nothing to do. So there was a few of us that were allowed to get dropped off at the cinema, and we're allowed to go to the cinema on our own, and then we get picked back up. Or we could walk to each other's houses, which was like in the next village, and just go to the park and chill. But there was literally one girl in my year and a girl in the year below us that were allowed to go out in our whole primary school. Everybody else's parents were frightened of. And we, incidentally, we were the only ones that were allowed a mobile phone because everybody else's parents thought, oh, you're going to get an attack of radiation sickness from a mobile phone. God, that was something they used to go on about. That's right, I do. I sort of remember that from... Well, I got my first mobile phone in 99. And, yeah, it was something that you had people say and what have you. And I'm sure there were probably watchdog reports with Anne Robinson about it and what have you. But now it's just like, whatever's, you know, smartphones, don't spoil it, don't don't bring us down. We've got our toys, we're, we're playing with our apps. Yeah, so nobody wants to hear that nowadays. But when I say, gee, if there was anything that you didn't particularly like in children's programming, it was more sort of, was anything that you found in the same way as we're talking about, like, Ultra's got this weird hang-up about bagpuss. Was there anything that you sort of had the same sort of feeling about? Dramas or anything like that, where it was just like, Whoa. 
No, I mean, I've always been one of these kids that has sat and watched a load of telly and probably a bit too much TV and absorbed everything. But there's nothing I can't really think that made me feel like that. No. This is territory that's been explored before. Have one of you seen an audience with Billy Connolly? No. I think I'm possibly. I might seen clips of it. Because he talks in that about... Because this, this, was, this was still something that was happening at the time. He talked about the nightly close down and how the announcer would say, have a peaceful night, especially those of you who live alone. As if that was supposed to be more comforting, the fact that the announcer has acknowledged that. But you know the fact that he's just reminded you of that fact is working against it. And his thing was that he always wanted to be the announcer at night so that he could say that and then just go... To the best of my knowledge, no continuity announcer ever actually <laughs> did that. But that's a YouTube clip I definitely want to see if Colin Weston ever just went for it one night. Do you know what they should have done in Goodnight Sweetheart? Every time Gareth Barrow went back to the 40s, it should have been film. I mean, he gets into the 90s as in VT. They definitely should have done that. Actually, that's another thing. Colour used to get people. Well, you might still get people. When I was a kid, I actually thought everything in the past was in black and white. I've had people say that. The colour gap is going farther and farther away because yeah, films from my parents' day were definitely in black and white. Whereas, I don't know, there's no conclusion to be reached. We just have to watch this play out. What's going to happen when the millennials hit middle age and they've never had any of their memories lost to them? They've been able to revisit everything all the time. Will they even feel nostalgia? Will they even have a sense of nostalgia? Everything is now. The historical landscape is just... There's not quite that sense of, well, this is old. There'll be 70 shows that look newer than some 90 shows. So we're just going to have to watch how this plays out. We just need to be aware enough so that we can make money off this. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what worries me? Exactly as you said there about sort of millennial nostalgia and what have you, that'll be around around forever. And they're entitled to. Yeah, yeah. But what worries me is that because... A lot of the stuff I get nostalgic about is actually stuff that I, I, I would have been around for, but I can't really remember, like stuff from the late 1970s. So I think that if I'm sitting there and I'm like 90 years old, I'll be referencing things that no one else remembers and that no one else is alive to remember. That Even Radio 2 will be playing 1977 music. It'll have just been lost to the sands of time entirely and i'd be like sundays on radio 2 successors to desmond carrington and what have you they'd be playing you know like wigfield and saying now here's something from from way way back that almost none of you will remember oh that's a depressing thought i suppose one little phrase to take with us is putting your toys away generation x i think put its toys away for about five years and then brought them all back out oh well look at this oh there's thundercats uh (laughs) Yeah, that's that's basically Generation X in in one phrase. <laughs> Thundercats. Uh. <laughs> I think the baby boomers put them away for a lot longer, and then the Greatest Generation and Silent Generation they put them away and forgot about them, gave them away right to the jumble sale. And are we going to get a generation that has never had to put its toys away? And what are they going to be like? It's, it's actually quite a nice thought in some ways, I suppose, because you'd say the earlier generations they would have. Had to have done that. I mean, we talked about Look and Read program. K 
kids who were evacuees and what have you, you know, they had to grow up quickly. They didn't really have time for toys and, and bits and pieces because it was just circumstances. So I suppose it's quite a nice idea in a way that there isn't anything like that. There's nothing that's only going to tear you away from your childhood and that you can just sort of ease into adulthood without having to go through, you know, national service or whatever it might be. Yeah, but then you meet somebody with grey hair who can only use the word awesome. (laughs) Here's a thought, and then here's a follow-up thought. What is the generation following the millennials, what they call? Call them post-millennials. Well, come on then, come up with the name right now, let's monetize this. Digitals. So let's, let's, okay, I like that. Digitals, okay. Cool, I like that. Right, now here's the follow-up for, and this one is a little bit frightening, which is sort of going to bring us full circle. Will there be such a thing as digital nostalgia, given how fragmented everything is these days? Even, gee, when you were putting your playlist together, you had satellite and cable and what have you, and you had computers, but you still had relatively large swathes of culture that were being accessed by you know, the majority of the population. Now, I appreciate that in 2015 that 11 million people just watched Bake Off last week and were all watching it largely. 9 million out of the 11 million were watching it at the same time. I appreciate that. And the same goes for X Factor and a few other things as well. But given how fragmented everything is these days, then will there be a shared nostalgia or is everybody going to remember playing different apps on the iPad and having different channels tuned in on Sky? Will people really have that sort of shared heritage? That's a really good question, really, because actually when I was thinking about like what is nostalgia looking at this, the nostalgia that I got really was like watching TV, like the stuff that you were forbidden to watch, like bad girls and stuff. Like my mum was all right with me watching it, but she was like, oh, your dad won't let you. So it's like sneaking downstairs and trying to sneak through the uh, living room behind the sofa and watch a bit and then run upstairs. And that's sort of the nostalgia bit that really... I don't know that I feel it's not really the actual watching it it's the practice of how you watch it maybe but then again I guess everybody's got iPhones now so you just watch it online or whatever that's interesting thought as will people actually just recall the general bits and pieces I mean okay yeah I can remember having like a Tommy my first record player and I can also remember like the records that I had on it and what have you but that's interesting that, that people might remember more sort of general things around specifics it's still going to be strange where, you know, like our generation could just say Scooby-Doo and everybody knows what you're talking about. In some ways, will we actually be going sort of back in time to an era before there was sort of mass market popular culture? Because ever since you had, you know, the cinema and the radio and the outside television and what have you, vast swathes of the population were all watching the same thing. Before that, people's sort of shared sort of heritage and nostalgia would probably be largely limited to geography and what have you. And nowadays, perhaps you'll get people sort of sharing nostalgia who are countries, perhaps continents apart, because you can be chatting with somebody in Australia on Skype, or you could be listening to the same podcast as somebody in Africa, or whatever it may be. And so, you know, it might just be that everybody will still recall little details, but they just won't be recalling them with, you know, their, their colleagues at work or whatever it may be. But who yeah. knows? That's, that's I think I think that might be the way it's going because I look at my brother and I know he's only like, what, six years younger than me, but he's still like the younger generation, I guess. And it's all like PlayStation, Xbox, playing FIFA with people online and socialising that way. And I guess he's going to remember that more than oh, we all sat around and watched this programme. So I think if you really want to save future generations, if you're listening out there, if you have children, if you know children, make them watch a ferret kill a rabbit. 
<laughs> well, I'm not quite sure how we're going to categorise this discussion because it has been quite freeform. It's been as freeform as the musical accompaniment to the cracks. But nevertheless, it's been very interesting just noodling discussion about all manner of things. Later on, at some point in the future, I want to come back to something in that whole, oh my God, no way, field. Because occasionally I've been watching children's programmes from before my childhood, 70s stuff, and my wife has seen it and gone, what's this? And say, oh, it's children's, no, children's programme? I said, yeah, let me look it up. Yes, this was on a 440. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I think, Moonkat G, if you're amenable, I think sometime we should watch Warrior Queen. Okay. A dramatisation of the story of Boudicca, and most of the way through you'd be going, no, this was not on at 440. I reject this. They just <laughs> cut a duck's throat on camera. Oh, quirky. Yes. You have a pagan priest who talks like this the whole time, <laughs> and his eyes roll into his head. And the whole thing seems a bit much, and it was on at 20 to 5. It was a children's program, and you will be shocked, but I think there will be things to talk about. Was this on when you were a child then? Is this? No, no, this is actually before me, and I, uh, my jaws are dropping. And, and... Yeah, because there was never really anything like that when we were kids. The only sort of thing that I can remember is, going back to the public information things, there was one, and it was do not play near pylons and some ladder kicked a football over climbed into the pylon and obviously or it might have been a kite actually his kite might have something anyway something made him go into the electricity thing and um, he got electrocuted and there was one of these little power stations between my house and school and you just didn't want to walk back home from school that day when i was showing you some of the public information films on youtube i actually pinched some off youtube re-uploaded them with bits cut there were a couple of films I decided to omit because I just thought, just sour your mood. You're not going to enjoy recording no. the podcast after you've watched those. But next time, assuming Mooncat doesn't rebel against this idea, we're going to watch The Good Companions, Yorkshire television programme from 1980. I have some of my usual hot-button topics to bring to this, and it may well be the most Bradford thing ever made. <laughs> Is Leslie Sands in it? Yes, he's the narrator. I thought that that might be the case. <laughs> John Sharp turns up, and it's hey. written by J.B. Priestley. Hey. And there is an aspect of this production. It was considered at the time, I think, to be an expensive flop. There's an aspect of this production I wasn't aware of when I started to watch it that caught me by surprise. I hope it will catch Mooncat by surprise. I think there's going to be a lot to talk about. Yes, indeed. So, sitcom club currently on... Summer break, but you can get all the previous Sitcom Club episodes, editions, if you prefer, at sitcomclub.com. You can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter, The Sitcom Club. We are on there. Now, this Jeff Kicks for Proust has gone up on Friday, if you've downloaded it on the day of release. On, I think, the Sunday, you might want to go over to jomtpodcast.com and listen to just one more thing the Colombo podcast that I've mentioned before, because they've done a show on the very first Columbo TV movie, Prescription Murder, and I am the special guest. And I did a lot of research. I talk about the Columbos before Peter Falk. I talk about the Columbo story with no Columbo in it. So that's jomtpodcast.com. 
and you can hear me spoiling the same story four different ways. <laughs> and I've heard it actually, and it's very good, so it's well worth a listen. And you can also get loads more listening material available from podnose.com as well. Plenty of bits and pieces on there. So take your pick. In the meantime, G, thank you very much indeed for sharing your millennial memories with us. Not at all. Hope you enjoyed them. <laughs> and can you remind people of where they can find your sitcom blog? Um, yeah, it's not actually been updated for ages, but now I've got free time. I'm going to. It's Sitcom Lovers Corner on WordPress, but I'm sure you can find me on Twitter at gswell234, and there's a link on there. Spiffing. So, in the meantime, we'll be back this time next month with another Jaff Cakes with Proust. G, you've been G. I have. Thank you very much for having me. Ocho, you have been Ocho, have you not? Goodbye, children. <laughs> and I've been Mooncat, and this has been Jaffa Cakes for Proust. <laughs>